This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Every child deserves a team. That's the belief behind Jigsaw Learning, a proud sponsor of the B Podcast Network. And it's why the company, founded by educators Curtis and Lorna Hewson, focuses on ensuring success for all learners through collaborative response, an approach in which every child is supported by a team. Through customized professional learning that incorporates workshops, leadership development, online learning opportunities, and more, Jigsaw Learning can guide you every step of the way to create a plan to maximize the collective capacity in your schools. Learn more at jigsawlearning.ca. People are expecting. People are expecting quite a bit. This is your time. You want to win. You're going to be like this. There are no shortcuts in life. You'll get better because you make each other better. The inches we need are everywhere around us. I know plenty of people that are capable. I know fewer people that are willing. You have to believe it to do it. Now, what are you going to do? Welcome, everybody, to Sidelines Sessions on the Bee Podcast Network. Uh, thanks so much for being a part of our premiere episode here as we kick off this brand new series. We've been working on it a long time, and I'm really thrilled to launch this and bring this into the network. If you're a coach in youth, scholastic, or amateur sports, this is definitely the podcast for you. And we also expect to bring valuable insights to parents, administrators, all other stakeholders that are really interested in sporting competitions of all kinds at the youth level, the school level, amateur level. I'm sure there's going to be some tidbits, even if you're in the pro level here as well. We're planning to talk to all kinds of coaches, trailblazing professional coaches, those who have trained gold medal Olympians, founders of elite youth programs, a lot more. We're going to hear their stories, how they got where they are, and also discuss their ideas to bring out the best in your athletes and student athletes. So today, with all that said, we have a guest who's very much on brand. As the very first guest on this show, we have somebody who's made a career out of being the first in a number of positions. In 2005, Dr. Jennifer Welter became the first female coach in NFL history when she coached linebackers for the Arizona Cardinals. She also was the first woman to play a contact position in men's professional football when she signed as a running back with the Texas Revolution, which is a professional indoor team. And she had a distinguished career in women's pro football as well, a two-time world champion with the U.S., eight-time pro bowler. She's a culture shift expert. She has a master's in sports psychology, PhD in psychology, and she's our guest here today. Jen Welter, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I love what you're doing for youth sports and the competitive landscape. I think 
we need more conversations like this. So cheers to you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, we've been thinking about this series for such a long time, thinking, okay, how do we start putting it together? We have content, as our listeners may already know, for school leadership and for, you know, leadership coaches and teachers and parents and all across the spectrum, right? All kinds of learning and development positions. We said, you know what? We need to have sports coaches here too. So yeah, let's, let's jump into it. And let's start with just your journey. How did, you know, just kind of even going back to youth, right? Did you just have a general love of sports? Was it always about football? Kind of, how did you start out along the pathway to where, you know, eventually made a career in this? Well, I grew up in Vero Beach, Florida. So if anybody's familiar with Florida football, it is Friday Night Lights. And as a kid, I remember watching the players out on the field and thinking that the football players looked like superheroes. And I wanted to be a superhero. As simple as that. I just wanted to be, I wanted to be among them. And It was the first place in the world that somebody told me boys and girls could do different things. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't like it always had to be football for me, but it was kind of like that sport I loved from afar, played everything else pretty much that didn't hype me out. Right. Like, I mean, I, my top height is five, two. So Mm -hmm. I was a really good volleyball player at one time. And then everybody got all my main sports were tennis, soccer, softball, And then I went to college and played rugby because it was the closest I could get to football. So learned how to tackle in rugby, got recruited for the under 23 national team, at which time they also figured out I was only 5'2". Did not make the U.S. national team and got recruited from a flag football league I was playing in to try out for this tackle football team. And I made it and I promised myself that was what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Like this was the sport I was meant to do. And I was going to figure out how to integrate in, in my life on a day-to-day basis. Excellent. I know there was a number of things you did, particularly with respect to you, of course, I'm sure we're synthesizing prior evidence and the reality you saw before you with your goals and your ambitions and the things you wanted to achieve and saying, okay, there was a lot of things you did to prepare yourself for the opportunity that eventually you would have to coach in men's professional football. What are some of the things you were doing along the way to put yourself in position to be ready when the time was right? Well, first and foremost, I have to correct you on one thing. I never imagined that I could coach football because women didn't do that. And so I often speak on the importance of on representation and how much it matters Mm -hmm and how much being able to see someone that looks like you doing what you want to do to be able to, you know, kind of picture yourself doing that, right? Like to picture myself being on the sidelines. I didn't have that kind of vision, but what I did do to prepare myself for whatever my life was going to look like was that I got my PhD while playing football. So Mm -hmm. my life for a very long time was, work by day, play football by night, go to school by very late night. And so to me, it was, if I did that, then I could take my practical experience as a player, marry that with my PhD in psychology and become a unique value proposition to the sport. Someone who had a different 
and valuable perspective. And, you know, I think that when we're building teams, when we're looking at staffs, when any of those things, that's what you want. You want additional valuable perspectives so that you have multiple voices in a room. And I am just thankful, you know, that men actually, some great men recognized potential in me and gave me opportunities to step up to those challenges. It was playing in men's pro football that opened up the door to then coaching in indoor football, which is what I did before the NFL. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds as though in a lot of ways, you know, you're consistently doing different things to prepare, right? Getting education, thinking about at least opening yourself up to a variety of possibilities, taking advantage of opportunities that came, you know, as a player. And then a lot of the other things developed organically. It was okay. Now I'm here. Now what might be next? Where does that lead? How did it end up happening when it eventually did say, okay, as you mentioned, I didn't imagine that I could be coaching because it's never been done before. I didn't see anybody doing it. Somebody else had to, there had to be people that would allow you and and help you to get into that position. How did it end up happening? Yes. So I was playing on the Texas revolution and I played a whole season and getting hit by those guys every day for a year was one of those things. It, it taught me a lot. It taught me how to be a great teammate, taught me how to see things differently. You know, I went from in women's football being on the U.S. national team, so arguably, obviously, one of the best players in the world, to now I'm scratching and clawing and fighting to be on the practice squad. Mm-hmm. And so it was this challenge of how do I continue to add value to a team where I'm not the baddest one out there? Well, I was smart and I would, Hey, this is what they're going to do next time. Blah, blah, blah. And it was like a joke. Like, I mean, like in a loving way, the guys would jokingly wasn't a joke that I was helping them. They would jokingly say like, she's like our little coach on the sidelines. And I would jokingly say back. Yeah. It's like Marvin, the Martian. I get to take all of this great knowledge and put it in your big body. So we kind of naturally did it anyway, but it, again, it wasn't like I was like, oh, I'm good. It was former Dallas Cowboy Wendell Davis, who in the off season was hired as the new head coach. And when he was there, I walked into an event that he and some of the Texas Revolution players were on and or at. And when they saw me, they picked me up and tossed me around like football because relative to them, I am one. And Wendell said, who is this girl that all my guys love? And they laughed. They're like, coach, that's your running back. And I remember Wendell telling me later, he's like, Jen, I knew everything about you, but I never imagined that those guys would love you like that. He's like, I can teach you how to coach football, but I can't teach that. And Mm -hmm. he said, like, he called me the next day after, after he met me, he sat me down, grilled me on football. I mean, everything. Right. And I think I'm done. Right. I'm done with this team not getting hit again. So basically or getting hit by these guys again every day for a year. So I basically just was brutally honest. You want to know why they're not playing well? Well, these guys, you say that meals are included. A five dollar meal voucher is not cutting it. They're hungry. Right. Like I was just really honest. And apparently that hit a chord with him. Because he called me the next day and said, all my defensive coordinator and I could talk about is how you had to coach this football team. And I said, no. And he goes, what do you mean, no? And I said, no, 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 girls don't coach football. I'm not doing that. And he said, not a lot of guys are going to give you this opportunity. You're taking this job. 
And I said, no, and I hung up on him. And the next day he called me back and told me about myself. He said, do you remember how I told you not a lot of guys were gonna give you this opportunity and you were taking this job? I said, yeah. He said, good, I took it for you. You're coaching for me. And by the way, you can't quit. Otherwise the entire narrative surrounding women coaching and men's pro football will be, we had a girl once and she quit. And so really had no choice. And I am so thankful for Wendell seeing that in me before I even saw it in myself. Yeah. And I was uh, I'm going to ask you what coaching is to you and right and what coaching means to you. And isn't that story such a great illustration of so much of what coaching is to see in somebody else, the thing that they don't yet see in themselves and to take a stand for it, right? And to advocate and say, look, you're not getting out of this. You can do this and <laughs> there's no escape. Yep. And and for me, that was, it's something that we say that we do as coaches, right? You recognize mm -hmm. what makes somebody different, makes them special, put them in a position for success and help them develop in ways that mitigate or minimize their liabilities. So you can teach certain elements, but certain things also impressed people. And it was really the relationships that stood out to Wendell and why he made that decision. And, and I like to tell that story because I think so often we assume that people have all of the answers and none of the questions. Mm -hmm. And even for me, I tell people as a coach, you got to be coachable first and mm -hmm. foremost, right? I, how can I lead you somewhere if I don't know where you're trying to go? You personally, right. right? And how do I lead you somewhere if I don't know what you've been through or how you learn or what your background is or what your experiences are? Have you been through an injury? What's holding you back? If I'm not coachable, if I'm not there to gather that information and use it to maximize someone's success, then I'm going to be basically blindfolded, throwing darts at a board and some will hit and some will hit well, and some will miss big. And mm -hmm. my goal is to, even if everything doesn't work as a player, to be a good person in the process. Yeah. As you've now had been, been involved in coaching for several years, have you developed your own thoughts on what you believe coaching is or coaching's purpose, right? Just kind of that foundational definition of this is what it means to be a coach. Well, I have a philosophy on how great coaches are people that have great relationships. And mm -hmm. I think to be a great coach, it's really about empathy and developing mm -hmm. coaching relationships about where the foundation is trust and love. And, and I tell people that, and I'm like, listen, people talk about perfection. Perfection is only possible in intention right? I can look at somebody's tape and I can do my very best to give you the very best breakdown that I have, but they're also changing things too, right? So I can be perfect in my intention. And then we have a relationship so that we can talk and get better and know that if I didn't tell you something, it wasn't like I was holding something back. I did the best that I could. So our intention can be perfect. Our execution can get incrementally better. And it's a right. coach's job to make a player better as a person and as a performer. And those two are not inseparable. Now, sometimes you won't have that tight of relationship with each of your players, but it should be the intention because unless we're looking at 
athletes as whole people, then we're missing the magic because ultimately as coaches, we have to know not every player that we ever encounter is going to go on to make millions of dollars and play at the highest level. Just true. So what then can you do as a coach? You can have an impact on who this person is in their life. And that to me is the beauty of sport in terms of its role in our development as humans is that we want to find places and spaces where we bring the best out of people. And for me, I've coached everyone from guys in the NFL to special needs kids in Snoop Special Stars. And every single one of them, first of all, has a right to be out on that field and to find their best self and to find an end zone dance. And it's my job to get them the very best that I can while I'm there and to connect with them as people too. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think it certainly uh, aligns with, I think, some of the qualities that stood out in you as a player that made other coaches recognize, hey, this person could be a coach because there's relationships there and there's that ability to to generate those. And of course, on you know, in a sport like football, you have how many people on a team, right? And only so many opportunities to know each person to a certain extent, but yet having that relationship mentality and mindset. And, you know, another word comes to mind is the authenticity of it. I know one of the topics that you speak about is authentic leadership, right? The power of that. And I'm wondering, how did you find that voice, like the authentic voice in yourself, especially being in situations like these where you may be the only person in the room that is a female that looks like yourself or, you know, the first. So Maybe. you're developing those relationships, mostly, you're showing your authentic mostly, self, yeah. but you're also yeah. understanding that there, there's a lot of different dynamics at play, right? And, and of course, the power is in that authenticity, but it's not necessarily, it doesn't make it easy, right? The first thing I'll say is some rooms are harder than others. You know, some people really value that. Other people are advocates for the status quo. And mm -hmm. I think that's where you navigate your places and spaces. For me, though, the person that I give credit for really putting that authenticity first is a guy that anybody in the football world should know is Terry Glenn. And unfortunately, we lost TG back in 2017. And he was a big part in my book and he passed away before I was able to give him a copy. So it always hit my heart that I wonder if he knew how much he meant to me or how much, what a gift he gave me in giving me the, the yeah. confidence to walk into a room authentically. And mm -hmm. we were, you know, he coached with me at the Texas revolution and he was just, he was so real, right? He just loved the game and he wanted everybody to get better. And, you know, he just, he shined on the football field. And TG was a quiet guy. So he didn't say a ton, but when he said something, it said something. So you really had to pay attention. And it's like 6 a.m. In, in indoor football, like we had to have the guys practice before work so that then they could go to work after. And... I remember TG came up to me and he said, Jen, I've been thinking a lot about you going to the NFL and the best advice I can give you is to be 100% authentic. He said, if you're the same person with those guys that you were here with us every day, 
they will absolutely love you. But if you're fake in any way, they will sense it and eat you alive. And so I really took that as permission to be myself and how important it was to not try and be fake, not try and be somebody I wasn't. There's a lot of guys there. I was never going to outman a man of being a man. And frankly, they didn't need another man. They needed me. Right. And they needed me to walk in and look at things as a former player, as a female, as a PhD, all of those, whatever it was that was me and different, that's what they needed. And that's what not only did I strive to, but I strive to bring with me in every situation, some easier than others. But I think that there's real value in really just being honest about who you are, what you are, what you know, and what you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure your degrees in psychology proved very helpful, particularly with your emphasis on relationships, right? And how to relate to people. And I'm wondering if you also, did you feel like you were able to develop some type of a mental edge from the fact that even prior to ever getting involved in, in men's football, you still would have in your career been an underdog in the sense that you were a great player, but you were one of the smallest people on the field still, right? Even in the women's game, it's you were, you had to figure out different ways to be effective and to gain an advantage and to be smarter than the next person and to think a little bit ahead of the next thing. Right. And, you know, you had certain physical gifts, but in other ways, it wasn't like you were just out there running everybody over and all of that, right? So even then, you were, I'm sure, developing a lot of the things that became advantageous later on that maybe, who knows? I mean, I don't know how much more difficult it would have been if if that hadn't been the case because, and it was maybe things that you were preparing for mentally before you knew what it eventually would be used for, but just thinking about how do I outthink my opponent, right? How do I think more about the game and think about that? And then of course that helps you down the road, be able to teach as well. Yeah. I think each one of us has to really realize who we are and what we're about on a football field or in Mm -hmm. whatever field of play that is. For me, I know, you know, one example I can give is when I was first playing, I had an idea what a football player looked like, and she was everything that was not me. You know, they were big and strong and grr, and they wore black, and they looked real intimidating. And I remember kind of trying that, and, you know, at five foot two, it's not scary. It's a little funny, right? Like, I wasn't scaring anybody. No one was going to be like, ooh, she's intimidating. And when I realized that, like, Leverage is actually an advantage in football. So we say low man or low women wins. So I had a natural advantage that I was losing in trying to be something that I wasn't. And I was not going to outbig anybody, but I could out little, out fast, out tough. And so once I leaned into really my differences that were my superpowers, then I became great. I went from good to great and greater the more the more I focused on that. And I think too often we lose that, right? We have an ideal and it's not actual, right? And you have to focus on the things that you can control. That's one of the things we do in sports psychology. And 
one of the things that you cannot control is height, right? Can't, I'm not going to be able to change that. Now, can I work to develop a, a better vertical leap? Yes. Can I work to get a quicker first step? Yes. All of those things are under my control, but I can't sit and cry about the fact that I'm five too, right? That is not going to change. So it is not productive energy. The energy and the place in the space that I can do real stuff is by focusing on making myself the best performer that I can. And then knowing things from a psychological perspective, how you carry yourself, keep your head up, your chest up, never not showing certain physical weaknesses were things that I became very good at and very practiced at. And I convinced people that I was the crazy American. I mean, that I was indestructible and I was in really good shape and I carried that mentality and new people were watching at all times. So never wanted them to see me anyway, but looking like I was ready for the next play. I think a lot of that goes back to once again, the authenticity being yourself, figuring out who are you are, who are you, what are the unique qualities that you bring to the picture, right? And in a team sport, a team environment, whether you're mm -hmm. a coach or a player, it takes a lot of different components to make it an effective organization, right? If everybody's the same here, there's some things you're going to be missing. And a lot of that, of course, would be coming, whether you're on the team, maybe you're a captain or a team leader, but especially as a coach and understanding the different paths the coaches take, it's how do you earn credibility? How do you earn the respect of your team? I think it's a great topic touch on especially with respect to if we have listeners who are coaching at a variety of levels where they may not have yet put as much thought into it as naturally needs to be done as you get to the college and certainly the professional levels and the kind of age gap experience <laughs> all those other things close right and it's how do i earn it? there's highly successful professional coaches that have never been players at that level but there are things that they do that earn them credibility with their team and the respect of their players and there's others who may have been a great player and they don't they lose it and so it's not about and we've talked about the relationships a lot and of course that's an important piece so there are other things that come to mind that you've learned or the, certainly that you've observed in other coaches that you've worked with to say, okay, these are the things when I see a coach doing this and this immediately I'm bought in or vice versa. And when I see a coach doing these other things, it's, I can tell it's not going to work out so well. I think honesty is really important. People don't like fake, right? I tell people all the time when I know something, I'm very direct, right? This is what it is. When I don't know it, I'm also very direct. Like, oh, I don't know, right? Yeah. Like I've had people ask me about coaching quarterbacks. I, I do not coach quarterbacks. Right. I know how to make a quarterback's life difficult. That's what I know how to do, right? You've got to get somebody else for that. And I tell people and they're like, oh, you, you so easily pass that off. And I'm like, of course I did. Now I could help a kid who's never thrown a football before be better. But I can't help a quarterback who's practiced quarterback be better unless it's on X, Y, and Z, right? Maybe focusing or, 
you know, making sure they're calling out route combos as they do it, but I'm not going to get there in their mechanics and things. The only thing I can do is scroll them up at that point. But I tell people, I'm like, I will very quickly tap out in a conversation where I am not the authority, because if someone tells me they know everything about everything, I already know they're lying about something. And now instead of looking at the places where they can help, where they can move mountains, where they can be impressive, I'm looking for the place where they're full of BS. Right. right. And naturally do that. And I did that as a player too. And so a lot of the things when it comes to earning respect, and I'm glad you said earn respect, because a lot mm-hmm. of times people will say command respect. And I go, Oh, cringe. You right. cannot command respect. You have to earn respect through your actions, through your consistency, through your communication, through your relationship, through being coachable. Right. Like that's one I will go back to is like, you know, I think it's really important to get to know people before you you come out and you're just like, well, this is what we're going to do. OK, well, this is what you're going to do. You're going to you're going to throw the ball up in the end zone and all of your receivers are five foot. Did you check that first? Because, you know, that high ball may not work. Right. Like you really have to know what you're working with and be honest about it and then be able to adapt and overcome. People respect that a lot having good communications, being open to those connections, developing relationships, those are respect. And then consistency. If I give you my word, I keep my word. Because the second you don't, the respect is out the window. How do I tell you to do something and I don't hold somebody else accountable, right? How do I disrespect you as a human and expect you to respect me as a human, right? Like, I think a lot of those things just go from being very honest and upfront. And I mean, I I have literally said that to people, like I will tap out, I don't know, this is what it is. And then going back to what I said earlier, which I think every coach should keep in mind, keep this as a focus. Our intention is the one place that we can be perfect. We can have perfect intentions, perfect intention on a play, you can do this, that, the other. And then together, will work on incrementally improving execution step by step. We read faster, we move faster, we change direction faster, whatever that is, and we'll get better at execution. And even we'll get information that we didn't know before. You know, we game plan for a pocket passer and now they have a mobile quarterback. Well, it was not my intention to tell you we had a pocket passer and now he's mobile. It was not my intention. It's not like, oh, I'm going to really mess him up today and give him the wrong information, right? My intention was that we had a pocket passer and we were going to cage it and we were going to be real aggressive in that way and not let it break pocket, blah, 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 blah. We were going to do it X way. Now, all of a sudden, we have a different quarterback. We may need different people playing, right? You may need somebody who's a little faster on the edges than you thought before. We thought we were going to big body and compress them down. Now we need somebody who is faster and won't get beat to the outside, right? My intention was so-and-so where it's going to play the majority of the snaps. Now we have a different problem that will will require us to move within that. In that, I, as the coach, have to communicate that. And it's not just, oh, you're terrible. Get out of there. No, it's, hey, you know what? This guy's faster than we planned for. We need some speed at the outside, you know, like, and just even things like that, giving somebody an understanding of what we're doing and what we're thinking and why we're making decisions shows a whole lot of respect. And in that, a lot of the times players will give you respect. And then after that is, again, communicating those things and and hopefully doing a good job communicating throughout the processes. 
Right. Yeah. I'm glad. And I'm glad you, you mentioned the communication because that's the essential part of the intention, right? Is how do I know what your intentions are if you're not communicating them to me, telling me, okay, what's your vision for what we're trying to do here? What are our goals? What do you see as an athlete? What do you see for me going all the way back to when you started getting coaching? But what, how, what is, do you, are you intending to create opportunities for me here on the team in the future? How, like, how is my time here a well-spent investment in whatever's to come next? And at every level, and particularly every level before the professional level, right? There's a certain number of uh, high percentage of those athletes and student athletes that this is their final level. This is it for them. And and there's others that, okay, maybe I'm going to go on to whatever's the next level, but I still need to believe that this is a good use of my time, that the commitment and investment I'm putting in here is worthwhile, that I'm part of something bigger than myself, that, right, all of those various things that when they break down, it's very hard to keep an organization together because it's, What's my motivation, for example, to be bench player on a high school team, right? Well, I, I need to believe that there's more going on there than just whatever is my own eventual outcome, because what role is that? And that's about communicating that and understanding the importance of that. And, you know, we've all seen those thin sidelines, right? Where you say, man, this is a, a really big school. How come there's so few players on this team? Well, something's not happening there to make all, everybody on that team feel like they're a part of that team and feel right. like they're an important part and they're contributing to whatever happens. If the team wins a game, even if you weren't the one that was on the field scoring a touchdown, you contributed to that. And again, relationships, communication, right? Intentionality. Right. And understanding the individuals on the team, mm-hmm. not just what they can do, but who they are. I consulted with a cross-country team years ago. And they were having trouble with unity, right? And it was interesting because the top runner's best friend was on the team, but was the slowest runner. And it was kind of a struggle, right? I'm leaving my friend behind this, that, and the other. Well, it turns out that runner was really running because it was her best friend. It wasn't her passion, but she she was fine. She was solid. And but she was a great artist. And I told the coach, I was like, okay, so get her more involved. Well, I don't know how to get her involved. Have her come up with a mascot for the cross country team. She draws, right? Yep. Right. Have her design a shirt for the team that they could wear, whether it be game day or whatever, and get her involved that way. Because think about how happy her best friend, who is your captain, who is your fastest runner, would be to be able to rep her friend's shirt. Right. And she was like, oh my gosh, I never thought of that. Well, you never thought to ask, but there's different ways to get different people involved and to add value. But you have to have those conversations. You have to be willing to, to dig in and find those talents. I, I would be looking for those talents, my teammates. Do we have somebody who's great with lyrics? Great. Can you do a theme song for us? You know, what are the other ways that we can bring your talents into this atmosphere and let you shine. Maybe you're shining. I mean, you might be a starter and have those talents. Great. You might be somebody else. Great. But 
we are more than just what we do on a field, no matter how good we are at it. So how can we get more people to take pride in what we're doing here? And those are, that becomes being open as a coach and giving some of that ownership back to your team. And the more that they have voice and they have involvement, the more likely when you say, okay, this is how we're going to do this element, that they're going to be like, okay, because you gave them freedom in certain aspects of the team, right? Some areas you can't, but some you damn sure can. And, and I think that's important to remember that those things are important too. Yeah. Jen, you also have founded an organization called Gridiron Girls. There's multiple R's in there. I don't know. <laughs> but, it's Gridiron <laughs> because no one was giving girls opportunities. Um, tell me, tell us about that. It is confidence through football and teaching girls there is no game they cannot play and no field they do not belong in or on. We've done, I think, about 57 girls camps across the country now. And it gives me, you know, a tangible way to be the woman I needed when I was growing up. I think it's important. I don't think that there are enough visible female role models. And I say visible very intentionally. There are great women doing a lot of things, but if the women don't see them, they don't know, or the girls don't see them, they don't know that they can be them. So for me, I took that as a challenge and I thought of it as if I wasn't the woman who was there to change this for them, then the wrong woman was the first female to coach in the NFL. Are, are there, what's the, what progress have you seen or maybe created? <laughs> maybe it hasn't just happened in girls football from the time when you played till now. And, you know, I'm sure we have parents and coaches who have daughters or work with girls who are, well, haven't maybe thought about this. As a sport. Flag football is the fastest growing sport. Point blank. You know, it, it is the one that has the furthest to go, which is why you see exponential growth right now for girls in flag football specifically. Right. You can now go to college on a football scholarship as a flag football player. So girls, for the first time in the history of the sport, can change the trajectory of their lives through education by playing football. That's a game changer, right? That yeah. point blank. Guys who played their way out of such and such, girls can play their way out too or their way up into where they want to be in this world. And that's special because that was never there for football. You could do it in other sports, but it wasn't there for football. And so that's the biggest change. And that happened three years ago. The NAIA was the first league to add. Then you had the NJCAA. And next, the Atlantic Conference is adding in 2025. So just really very fast growing. More and more sports are offering high school flag football as a varsity sport. It used to be that there were just four, but now so many are adding that I couldn't give you a list of all the states off the top of my head anymore. And so it's just, it's really exciting. And, you know, I've helped launch programs. That's really what Gridiron Girls does for a lot of programs. It might've, they might've had a boys league and then they wanted to expand to girls. And so we would partner with them and help create an environment where the girls felt good. They wanted to come out on the field and then, Hey, the girls are yours, right? Like, this your league. So we helped attract them, but then you're going to be the one who, as I lovingly say, I was the sizzle, but you'll be the substance on a day-to-day basis. But I was able to help with my team come in and set the standard that the girls knew everything that they needed to be able to step in any game of street ball, any game of, you know, PE or whatever, or another co-ed camp and know that you're not fundamentally behind. 
you at least could get the fundamentals to feel good. And there was, and it was in an environment where confidence was put into everything that we do. And so just for me, those are the important things to do. And that's how we shift culture. And so, I mean, you'll see flag football as an Olympic sport likely in 2028. And, you know, to me, that's about as good as it gets in terms of progress. Yeah. Yeah. And and for listeners who may not be familiar, I mean, flag football is a fast growing sport for boys and girls in a, in a lot of places becoming a, right, a formalized varsity sport rather than an intramural sport and gaining a lot of traction and, and having a lot of participation. So, but it's great in particular for girls to have more and more opportunities there to to have programs that are designed for them with intentionality. And I think as one of our kind of Last topics here, I mean, that certainly seems to be near to you is not only the opportunity, but the obligation that coaches and and people in positions of influence have to create opportunities for the next group, whether that is expanding opportunities for people who haven't had it before or thinking ahead and finding untapped talent or right? Or our individuals who haven't been included before and how do we get them involved? You mentioned the example, right? With the, the track team and the logo, it's, there's a, a million different ways for that to happen, but to say, okay, not only is it smart <laughs> from a coaching perspective to say, who's, who, what can we do differently, right? Because if we're just doing the same thing everybody else is doing, Maybe if we're lucky enough that we just have better athletes than everybody else, then that'll be fine. But other than that, we probably need to try something new. But two, the reason I'm in this position to have influence is so that I can use that for a positive. What do you think about that? Or how would you pose that to other coaches to think about? I mean, you just said it, right? Like you are, as a coach, you're the person who was entrusted in having that role in somebody's life and that role yes it's sports but it's life and the sports lessons people always say that sports can change your lives and can do all these things it can but it has to be done with intention to ensure that those those opportunities are positive ones there there are a lot of not great human first coaches out there who have mm-hmm. tremendous technical skill but have not yet turned the page and to realize that they have the opportunity to change someone's life by being a great human. And I, I don't buy into the fact that it's just, it's just your job to get them to play better. I don't, especially if you're not talking at the top of the top professional level and not most of those kids are not going to make the top level. You have an opportunity to be a great influence on these kids where they are at the age that they are. And I'll tell you, people will tell you, I'll put as much energy into coaching special needs kids or girls as I do the boys. When I'm out there, it's no, it's not close to as good enough. You deserve to be coached well and you deserve to be treated well in the process. And those two are not inseparable. And I think we need to get away from the thinking that you just got to grind them out. Why? You, you can get the same work ethic and be good to people in the process. You don't have to cuss them out. You don't have to throw things. You don't have to tear them down. You don't have to tear them down to build them up. Like you can actually just be honest and push people 
but you, you don't have to pressure them to the point that you break some because we lose too many kids from sports because of environment. Yeah, absolutely. Jen, one last thing we need to get on the record here. So you shattered the glass sideline right, in the NFL. Also, I believe it was 2020 and you were the first female coach in Madden. So which one means more to you? Well, I think they work hand in hand. You know, I, I love that we were able to do that with Madden because you're reaching a whole bunch of different kids. There are kids that maybe never had an opportunity to have me as their coach, but they could play me in Madden. And I have absolutely had kids who knew me from Madden that didn't know I coached from the Cardinals. And so I think it's really important when we look at how do we shift culture, right? It's about shifting it into multiple points of entry in any place that we can open people's minds. That means we're opening possibilities and likely opening doors. And so to me, it's not about one or the other, though. I think the cool factor probably goes to Madden. <laughs> yeah. How many players, right. That grew up playing the game that get drafted into the league and say, well, th this is when I know it's real is when I'm in that game, <laughs> because that's, that's what really makes it official. Before we close, anything else you're working on now that you'd like to tell listeners about and, and where can listeners learn more about your work? Yeah, I mean, obviously I do a lot of things. I think that's just being a creator in life. The more opportunities we have to impact people, the better. The majority of my business, I spend time now speaking as a public speaker when I'm not coaching. So I try and keep a balance told my mom when I was a kid that I was either going to be an athlete or an actress and I get to do a little bit of both now. And so that's a really good life balance for me. And I think, I think we need more of those positive voices to lift people up and show them what's possible in this world. So I'm the best speaker you never had. I'm just kidding. But so that's a good one. A couple other projects I can't really talk about, but that's a good one to focus on. Excellent. So listeners will have the links below in the show notes to jenwelter.com and to Jen's social media handles. So please do check those out and you can learn more about those projects when they're available. Please do also subscribe to the show, Sideline Sessions, to hear the rest of our fall season. We have a number of great episodes coming up from coaches from all across the sporting landscape, some really interesting things uh, that you won't want to miss. Also, do visit thepodcast.network to learn about all of our other shows. We have about 30 of them now, so there's plenty there for you. Uh, Dr. Jen Welter, thanks so much for being on Sideline Session. You got it. Thank you so much. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.